Welcome to another episode of The Breakdown. This is going to be a little bit of a weird episode to listen to or watch because you're going to see two introductions. And the reason for that is because the conversation that we had with our guest covered way more ground that we thought, than we thought we were going to, and it went way more in depth than we thought it was going to. And there's some really important points that are raised in this conversation. So we wanted to make sure that we don't shortchange anything. Uh, so we're splitting it up into two parts. So what you're about to watch is part one of our two-part conversation with the host of the Conservative Like Me podcast, Jennifer Sanford. Welcome to another episode of The Breakdown, and this is an episode that I've been looking forward to for quite some time because it's a conversation with somebody who I definitely have some different opinions with, but it's somebody that I'm always able to enjoy the conversations with. Uh, for those of you that have been following us a little while now, you might remember a while back, we did an interview with a conservative who was doing a conservative podcast. And I've said this before, and I'm going to keep saying it. The first season of that podcast, which is called Conservative Like Me, is probably one of my favorite podcasts to listen to because it presents conservatism in a very different light than how a lot of people perceive it. And as somebody who digs nuance, that's really, really important to me. Uh, she's releasing a second season. On, I believe it's April 9th. I'm going to let her correct me in just a second uh, if I'm wrong, which would not be surprising because um, I'm just that excited for it. But she's releasing a second season and we are extremely excited and happy and probably a little bit giddy to welcome Jennifer Sanford back to the show. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us again. It's great to be here, Nate. Thanks for having me. And that's a really great introduction. I'll say the same thing I said when I was on last time, which is that, yes, I am conservative. I have a conservative podcast, but I'm probably not the type of conservative that a government like the UCP would want me to be. But that's one of the reasons I think for me, why I find uh, the work that you do and the way that you present your views so interesting, because there's a, a greater conversation to me that Albertans need to start to think about having around the idea of what is conservatism actually, because it seems like saying conservatism is kind of like saying ice cream um, in the sense that if you go to like Ben and Jerry's, what is it? There's 41 flavors or something like that. Baskin uh, Robbins has 31 flavors. Baskin Robbins. That's what I was going for. Thank you. Um, if you go to Baskin Robbins, you get 31 different flavors and not all of those flavors are for everybody. So while that's somebody right. might be able to say, I like ice cream. I know that when I say that my favorite type of ice cream is Tiger Tiger, there's people who run out of the room. Um, so it's it's important, I think, to differentiate that there's different types of conservatism out there. And that's one of the reasons why I, I, I dig your your podcast so much. Yeah, thanks very much. A couple of things there. First of all, Tiger Tiger is not a valid form of ice cream. So let's just get that out of the way. And secondly, yeah, it, it conservative politics, well, politics in general, is really a, an incredible spectrum game. It's interesting, the majority of Canadians, we're a game of inches. We're really near the center of the spectrum. And our current political landscape is we've got the Liberal Party very far to the left. 
uh, and I'm talking federally here, we've got the Liberal Party very far to the left, the NDP even further, and the Greens at their furthest point. So that's 75% of the political spectrum that really lacks a voice because the conservative movement really doesn't know where it fits on the, on the scale. So I refer to myself as a center spectrum conservative. I think I'm going to trademark that actually look out for some shirts. Um, there'll be merch. I think, um, I'm a center spectrum conservative and, you know, I even look at, you know, people who run under the liberal banner in some of the more conservative writings of this country and think, you know what, even that person is a center spectrum conservative. So all I'm, all my aspiration is, is just to really give a voice for the conservative movement that's in lockstep with the momentum of Canada. I, I think it comes from a place of disbelief that I, I can't believe the government can, can't do this. And so I'm, I'm just going to do it. As so a Canadian, I think the the best place to start, if we're if we're going to talk about where the 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 center conservative folks like yourself uh, sort of exist, um, how well represented did you feel at the recent uh, conservative conference that happened at the federal level? Uh, not at all, not at all, and uh, you know I think neither did the majority of. Of conservatives, you know, it's an interesting proposition because you know the way in which the convention is is organized is not unlike the way the other political parties do it, right? They have um, they have delegates that represent each of these writings, and the challenge is is that often these delegates represent single issue, you know, very uh, you know hard right you know, paradigms of thinking, and they, they leverage the structure and the infrastructure of the convention to amplify those voices. But to the, you know, to the everyday person, and I, you know, it's hard to use that term everyday person because we are, we are so individual, but I'll just say people like me, because I'm extraordinarily ordinary. I mean, the jury's in on that. Um, you know, they don't pay attention to these kind of conventions. They may be interested in what the leader says, but individual policy, I mean, they really just want, they really just want a lot of common sense to emerge. And, and really what you saw this year were a couple of things. First, you did see a concerted effort on the part of the policy committee to say, we really aren't going to talk about a lot of things that are that are backward. We're really going to try to strip some of the policy that's going to give us a lot of negative talking points out of it. So my thanks for that. But we still have a lot of garbage in there, right? And um, I mean, obviously, I'm well on the record around my stance on medical assistance and dying. I can't even be believe that's a that's that continues to be a political issue when it's so clearly a human rights issue and the polling is so clear about people wanting to say like I don't think the government should be involved in how I die um and yet you know we have a robust statement from an EDA that says we you know we will always be the party that that you know opposes euthanasia a term that I think is so ignorant and you know way to go like let's have let's all vote on something that the supreme court has already ruled on like what? Come on. And, um, you know, I, I'm sure you're going to ask me about climate change in a moment. So I'll just hold that back. But, you know, you saw some actually good policies that that actually said like, hey, we I want to see it. I want to see it easier to adopt a child. Um, you know, I want to see a registry for certain things. Some of those were some really pioneering ideas. And that gives you a sense of an EDA that's figured out, which is Electoral District Association, that has figured out okay, we, we do need to get in lockstep, but sadly you still have these, these voices who are, who will say the only reason I come to play in politics is because I firmly am pro-life. This is my avenue to have an agenda and a platform for pro-life. I want pro-life policies. I don't want to talk about anything else. And we simply cannot have that. We simply cannot have that. The jury is in on where the momentum of Canadians is, and it's at the center of the political spectrum. 
And until a government gets there, they are going to suffer from the highest form of what I call electile dysfunction. Did they, did they make a pill for that? <laughs> they should. <laughs> um, yeah, like there's, I don't think there's any way to talk about the 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 recent conservative federal convention without talking about the the climate change piece because as as much as there were like you pointed out some some policies that i think a lot of canadians could get behind the dissonance between the the speech that o'toole gave and how the party voted on policy uh i think was probably the biggest headline that came out of that uh that event not only because climate change is such a, a big concern for so many Canadians and the polling backs that up, but secondary to that, because the, the leader of the party stood up and gave this rousing speech. And then the party delegates said, eh, whoa, whoa, wasn't that not. rousing? Wasn't that rousing? It was well, kind of like a TED talk. I, I, he was maybe there was some electile dysfunction. I don't know. <laughs> you know, what? it's just because we so rarely we really so rarely see him on a platform, right? You have to think about his yeah. experience as the leader. He was elected at, you know, 2.30 in the morning because the convention was, the, the the leadership vote was so poorly done. Then he gets COVID. Then there's no parliament for him to to provide a compelling narrative. I mean, one of the reasons why we're trying to evaluate this speech with, with O'Toole coming out of the convention is because what else have we had? There's not really a lot that we can compare it to. Well, that's that's why I say rousing, because when you compare it to like the the Andrew Shear creepy milkman speeches, um, <laughs> I think that. Tell me what you really think. <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to I'm really going to hold it in today. Um, <laughs> but I think when you compare the 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 difference between the two, there's there is definitely a more um, grounded sort of tone. Like I think O'Toole some of what I took away from watching O'Toole speak was that he, he wasn't just uh, reading a script. There were parts that he was at least somewhat invested in. Um, and I'm not by any means like team O'Toole or anything like that. I, 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 what? No, I, I'll, I'll get into to why I'm, I'm not a huge O'Toole fan uh, and later, but yeah, like, so what's your take on that? The, the whole. Okay. So I'll talk about the, the vote on climate change and then I'll talk about the speech. So on climate change, you know, somebody should be brought into a public square and have to atone for what happened with climate change. And I would like to be the one to do it. The issue there is procedural. Like who decides that the leader will speak and then the delegates will get to vote. I mean, control your narrative. This is public relations 101. This is like the, the thing that they teach you before you even get to the first lesson. Controlling your narrative. I mean, that was a procedural decision that they consciously made to say, we are going to give all of the power to the members and not to the leader. Someone must atone for that. Whoever put that policy together in the way in which they, they did it owns what they own as a consequence and should be immediately terminated. I mean, we just kind of can't have that because you know, it's it's a field day for Twitter, and it was so discouraging to see reams and reams and reams of content of O'Toole says we need a plan for the environment, and delegates say hold my beer, or no thanks, thanks but no thanks. And I mean, it was just the most gift friendly gaff you can ever have. And you know, the truth of the matter is, is that you can go to the to the CPC website and actually read what that policy was. 
And while I agree when it said we acknowledge that climate change is real, is, is noble, the rest of that policy actually was very poorly written. And I think what might have happened, and this is, of course, me playing absolute Monday morning quarterback with it, is I think had it not been virtual, because normally what happens is you're in the hospitality suites and you're talking with one another and you're, you're making addendums and amendments and you're, and you're working that language in a way that really makes it meaningful versus when you're in the virtual space, what you kept hearing was people say, you know, can I offer an amendment? Uh, and it was with a ton of policies where someone would say, can I offer a friendly amendment? Can, you know, could we just word it like this in a way that actually is more clear and, and, and more friendly? And they couldn't because we're in a virtual environment. So the policy has to stand the way the policy has to stand. And, you know, my father and I, who people who listen to the podcast will know, appears on it with me. You know, we really disagreed about, you know, had they been able to really talk about the language of this and break it apart and sort of word it differently, um, could it have passed? You know, I still think, yeah, yeah, it actually might have been a bit of a different outcome. I don't like the way that policy was worded. It really didn't actually acknowledge that the party needed to make real investments in looking at solutions that were going to be responsive and could be market driven and could have all of us kind of working in tandem toward climate solutions. I, I didn't like it when I read it at first, but, you know, that doesn't that becomes then a secondary challenge to the real issue, which is that they got to vote on it. They voted no. And it becomes this whole thing around, you know, the party is the party now of knuckle draggers. Right. And you just take the, the sail or the wind right out of the sail of the leader to have to retroactively communicate for your own party. And that is so disappointing and so intolerable. And you know what? You would never see that shit at the liberal convention. It would be Trudeau speaks at the end. He speaks in a way of, of, of authority and power and we deserve the same thing on the other side. Plus think about it. Think about it from a sheer leadership perspective, right? Because right now Aaron O'Toole manages the party when at a time when he should be leading the party. Maybe this is just me with this, my speechwriter hat on, but what would have happened if he would have stood up there and said, you know, I'm, I'm dismayed by our choice that we've made today to vote down a statement that climate change is real at a time when this country is watching us and at a time when this country needs us and at a time where we know that we are not electable without an environmental plan. This tells me I have work to do, work to present real solutions and real opportunities that take the fear out of the progress and the step forward. There you go. There's your power. There's a leader. And yet, Instead, it's just uh, Aaron O'Toole can't control his party. And then you live in that narrative. And that is so absolutely disheartening to me. So disheartening to me. That's one of the, the, the frustrations and, and, and one of the reasons why I have such a hard time looking at our current options of political leadership uh, and, and taking any of them really seriously, because it seems like, and, and I don't, target this purely to the, the, the conservatives out there. Uh, we've certainly seen lots of embarrassing things from uh, all of the parties. It seems like politicians and elected officials are more interested in scoring cheap theatrical points than providing mm -hmm. actual leadership of substance. Uh, and yeah, that's my, that's my ire about the vote on the Uyghur genocide. I, I, if there's one time where I would like to have seen O'Toole say, we're not going to sit in the House of Commons and have this vote to make the other party look inept at a time when we have two Canadians fighting for their lives in China. Yeah. China is a is a country where we need a strategy that is based in cooperation and will. And I will not do anything other than support this government of power 
to do what it needs to do to get these two Michaels home and to figure out a, a diplomatic strategy with China and a trade relationship with China and, and a go forward really relationship also with the United States to say, don't you ever put us in this position again. And instead, the, he chose the low hanging fruit, which is we're going to vote that this is a genocide. So for no other reason than to show that the Liberal Party doesn't have the political courage. I'm not interested in that in the government. And I come out very hard on it in season two. Boy, am I looking forward to season two. So <laughs> let's let's kind of use that as a, as a jumping off point to all of the other things that I know we're going to get into, including you being incredibly wrong on your stance on Tiger Tiger. Um, I'm just, <laughs> oh, that's, boy, that that's- The only takeaway from this. That's, 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 that's I can I'm see just, that it hurt your feelings. I'm, I'm okay. embarrassed. I'm embarrassed for you. I'm embarrassed um, for you. <laughs> I'm embarrassed for you. You're the one eating it. <laughs> but it tastes like happy. Tell me about season two. Uh, so for, the, for, the, for those who are unfamiliar with season one, you covered a variety of, of topics. Um, sure. And I've, I've, I've said in more than a couple of places that, that your episode on Made was probably one of the best podcasts that I've ever heard um thank you for for the sincerity for the honesty uh the objectivity that is that's in it um uh, so how how do you how do you follow that up with season two yeah so you know we were never sure if there was ever even going to be a season two i think that really is an important fact that can't be missed here is that we just wanted to see if there I actually just wanted to see if there actually was anyone that was conservative like me. Maybe it was more of a question. Maybe it should have been conservative like me, question mark. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, we really did find our audience really quickly. And um, a lot of people took the time to, to reach out and tell me that they really resonated with some of the political ideas. And a lot of people also took the time to reach out and say very, very mean things um, about what they thought about the podcast, which I guess is good because I can't be an advocate for wanting a marketplace of ideas and then not want people to be, you know, vocal about what that mark, what's in that marketplace. So um, that's kind of where it sat. So I sat for a long time on, on what to do about season two. Um, I got a lot of advice about whether or not it was even in my best interest to come out and be an advocate for conservatism. And that really surprised me. And I think that's ultimately what fueled a second season of this podcast. So when you say that, um, I mean, that's a, that's a, a fairly loaded statement. Yeah. What, what sort of, can you give a little bit of, of context for like, why would people say, and especially, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to show my own bias here, but especially given the, 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 the brand or flavor of conservatism that you're advocating for is not a particularly spicy flavor. No, uh, it's at the center of the spectrum. It's vanilla. It's, I was just going to say it's vanilla. Uh, <laughs> it is vanilla. It but, is vanilla. Um, but there's such a stigma associated with conservatism. I mean, we can talk about that being a catalyst of American influence. I mean, I, you have no idea how often people ask me about QAnon. 
I, I don't know what QAnon is. I don't, I don't know what any of that is. I don't, cause that's not conservatism. I think that's mental illness. That's not the same thing. Like, and sometimes I feel like there's such a stigma that people say crazy, crazy things and then give it a political label when it's not, it's just madness. And when you're trying to like, it, it is really an interesting proposition to say, I am conservative. And then you immediately have to shove in all of those things to make people feel comfortable. I believe in science. I believe in facts. I believe in programs and systems that lift up everybody. I just believe in making a bit of a shift between how much government control we have and how we embolden the market. Um, you know, I, you know, I believe in, in LGBTQS plus rights. I believe in made, I believe in abortion. I believe like you have to stack yourself um, every time you identify as a conservative because people just, you can even see like, people just, their eyes just get a little bit wider. And what I'm saying is that I think that sometimes I have conversations with people politically. And I think halfway through the conversation, they realize, oh my God, I'm conservative like her. And they don't know how to reveal it quietly. I feel like it's okay to sit with me and say, like, I've got something to say. I didn't, you know, if I'm going to be my authentic self, I'm, you know, mom and dad, I'm a conservative. Like, it's okay. You can reveal yourself. It's okay. But there's such a stigma because we've got We've got such amplified voices in the very far right of the conservative movement saying just things that are just nuts. And then, of course, you've got, you know, you know, let's not forget, like in the United States, we had an act of violence and people we just will had think another you, one, too. Ex yeah, absolutely. Exactly. In the in the wake of recording this and and, you know, people will say like that's conservatism, that's their inability to process, um, you know, fundamental, you know, it's just their inability to, to fundamentally process how things work and how they participate in society. And, and when that stigma continues to be perpetuated, you know, people have said, are you sure you want to step into that? Plus I have the duality of also working in public relations and the magic of public relations is that when you work for a company or you serve a client, you have to demonstrate a high level of political neutrality. For example, if I'm trying to push through a, a really great environmental policy, you need to work with all governments to get cooperation. And when you have this additional layer of having a conservative podcast, it can be kind of scary. And so there's always the big ask. There's always a big lift with me personally, which is that, yes, I identify. A, yes, I'm Canadian. Yes, I'm conservative. But you've got to listen to the type of conservative I am. And that's a hard ask. That's like saying, could you also just spend eight hours trying to get a sense of what type of conservative I am? And now we're asking them for an, an additional nine hours. And, um, and that can be really tricky. And what I'm worried about is the stifling of this marketplace of political ideas, because crazy is amplified. And I, I, I say openly in the podcast this year is if there was someone who had a liberal like me podcast, are they also struggling with these things? Are they also worried? Like, you know, am I going to be employable in the future? Is this going to be a stigma that's now going to stick with me? And I think that's totally crazy because Canada only thrives with a two-party system, with a strong two-party system and really good political ideas and people being unafraid to bounce between those two parties as their needs change. And so long as we cannot get to that, I will continue to podcast. And that's how I've tried to come up to the conclusion of it. That's very cool. I, I, I can say, I mean, the, the, what we do here is not titled anything other than just the breakdown. But I can tell you that uh, there are certainly subjects uh, and, and people that we've interviewed that have caused a very strong reaction 
um, from from people across the political spectrum, because it seems like part of the political conversation that that people want to have is here's what I think. And I'm right. Right. And if you deviate from that in any way, well, now you're challenging my personal beliefs and I don't like that. So, yeah, there's actually a formal term for that. It's called naive realism. It's about people saying that my understanding of reality is therefore the only way forward. And when somebody challenges you, basically you're saying, how dare you challenge my reality? When really we all have a different lived experience and we have to find our political footing within that. I care deeply about the state of, of, our, of our naive realism in this country. And it seems so dysfunctional that in a, in a progressive country like this, that you know, we should be able to have an incredible, an incredible political spectrum of conversation that people can explore um, with curiosity. And that's really the vision of, of, of my podcast. There's no gotcha journalism here. From my perspective, it's if you just want to explore conservatism where it is now and where it could potentially be and what policy would look like around it, then that's what this can, that's what this podcast can be for you. And it also really this season also had an additional iterative experience of addressing real stigma that pisses me off. So what are, what are the, what, what kind of topics are we talking about here? Well, let's start with this. How many episodes are we, are nine. we having? Nine. Nine. Okay. So nine. what kind of topics are we dealing with on, on the, the nine episodes? Well, in the beginning, we just wanted an episode that was just kind of going to let level set on the leadership because the truth is, spin it how you will, in Canada, the Conservative Party, if we went to the polls today, is not electable. And if we look at Alberta, the UCP is not electable. So we have a real election issue. And so I just kind of wanted to really spend some time talking about leadership and what we needed from the leadership um, from a sort of a, a philosophical and a leadership paradigm conversation. And I wanted to get that out of the way because I really wanted to talk about political ideas. I didn't want to keep having to cycle back to, oh, yeah, but this leader is whatever. So we kind of get that out of the way. And then we went with uh, the economy, the environment, immigration, China, Canada's women, the media, the military, and then we cycle back to Alberta. I didn't want to, but we cycle back to Alberta. <laughs> okay. Um, this is some pretty- and that was, from a, that was from a list of 25. Oh, so wow. we started with 25 and we, I just whittled, just kept whittling it down until I got to the things that were important to me. And the conversations that I thought Canadians would be ready to have. Very cool. Um, the, it's interesting the, the leadership thing that you just described there. I think it's 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 interesting that that the the, the person who is wrong about ice cream and the forty four year old punk rocker um, uh, agree that there is a problem fundamentally with the the leadership of of political parties without spoiling the episode um why do you think that is well i think it's the same thing that i said when i was on your podcast the last time i think i might have struck gold there so i'll just recycle that out when i say that people don't fear change they fear loss and for many on the conservative spectrum you know some people in rural communities urban communities um you know people who may be predominantly white and seeing their their neighbor their neighborhoods become more multicultural they've never really been on the side of loss before right the the economy and industry and what they do for a living has always kind of been a steadfast experience for them so you kind of need a leader who can not just be not just be someone with a vision 
versus an action list, which is what I think he presented at the convention, a leader with a vision, a leader prepared to, to address and, and bite down the stigma, but also someone who's going to almost be a grief counselor, who's going to say, this is a safe space for us to explore what this loss really means to you. You know, if you're fourth generation oil and gas panicked about the state of Northern Alberta and our ability to build a pipeline, we need to have a different conversation about how we're going to take care of you in this economy and how we're going to get, create market opportunities for you. You know, if, if you have preconceived notions about what a community should be and it's not aligning to your values, then we need to create a space for you to really embrace a new normal of community. And I'm going to help you along with that. And I'm not going to, I'm going to make sure that there are no winners and no losers. It's just all of us excelling forward. That's the type of leadership that we need in a changing Canada. You know, I, I know that your feelings about what you what you philosophically and, and religiously believe about, you know, social issues like abortion. I know that's very important to you. And I'm going to honor that that's your personal choice. I'm going to honor that that's your personal choice. And I'm going to meet it with no judgment. But I'm also going to understand that Canadians would like a different experience and Canadian women specifically. And the momentum of this country is moving in a direction where women get to decide what women want for themselves. And I have to honor that. So I'm going to bring them along. But I'm also going to bring you along by saying, if you choose to believe that, you're welcome to that under the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. It's just about having these conversations about still bringing everyone along. And that's why I'm so reluctant to have conversations about, do we just take a section of the population who cannot be moved and truncate them out? Just say, get out of the tent, you know, go be, go, go be so far left or so far right somewhere else. And I'm a big advocate that I don't think that that's necessary. I think if you, I think you just can have tough conversations, have a strong surrogate network. And then I think your electability starts to change. Um, you know, this whole business with climate change would have been a great example of that for him to say, oh my goodness, this tells me I have a lot of work to do because I will bring you along. I will bring you along and we will get there and it's going to be okay. In fact, it's going to be great. It's interesting that, that, I mean, you, you cited a couple of things in there that, that, that jumped out at me. One of them was we talked about the, the oil and gas worker who is concerned about the, the viability of what their future is going to look like. Um, but what's fascinating to me is that the issues that hurt conservatives the most aren't the pro-pipeline, pro-economy uh, all of all of those issues. It's the I'm going to use the word evangelical issues yep. um, that that seem to be hurting them the most. And there's no I don't think there's any question that we're, we're seeing a shift in uh, religious beliefs across Canada. We're seeing a mm -hmm. shift in how those beliefs are expressed and how they're um, uh, perceived. Um, do you think that there's like the, I think one of the, to me, one of the obstacles that that conservatives, in general, uh, well, no, let me rephrase that. Uh, I think one of the obstacles that a lot of conservatives on the more righty right side, which is a, a new term that I've started using. Yeah. Whoa. Um, okay. <laughs> well, I go lefty left too, and you can you can it goes either <laughs> okay. way. Um, You'll have merch with that on on there. Stay tuned, everybody. Exactly. Um, so more more people on the righty right seem to use political parties as their vehicle to express or uh, impose to some degree their religious beliefs. Mm -hmm. um, we see that a lot less, I think he said cautiously on the, the lefty left side of things. 
And there's a part of me that looks at that whole situation and goes, you know, there's, there's obviously with COVID church attendance has declined, but even prior to COVID, we were seeing significant declines across Canada in church attendance. And so there is a, a shift that's happening with how people associate with organized religion. And it seems like a lot of the people who are trying to pull some of the bigger levers of power in conservative parties, federally and certainly provincially, uh, are people who are very much part of sort of the older approach to religion and and faith. Um, am I am I do you think I'm completely off the base there or is there something to it? No, I mean, just to just to get your stats in the right order, it's not just people expressing their faith by going to church. It's people really not self-identifying as being driven by faith at all. We're becoming, um, you know, a country that that really is moving away from religion as being an important part of their life. Uh, so, again, I think this just comes back to what I said about change and loss. I mean, the religious community is you see them really trying to hold on to my values being ingrained in the church. And I think anybody who has listened to my podcast knows I come out very hard on the role of religion in the conservative party. Uh, Nate, people came to my house over it. People were, uh, people were mad and uh, it struck a real nerve. Um, And like I said, in that podcast, you know, if, if you say, you know, I acknowledge that things are, these things are very important to you. Um, I hear you. And if these are the things in which you wish to believe both at home and in your place of worship, you have an absolute right to that. I cannot, I cannot govern this country uh, by bringing these things to Canadians. I'm out of step with Canadians. And at the end of the day, Canadians deserve a government that represents them. You have to have those tough conversations. And then you have to really mobilize a movement because I think one of the reasons why conservative politicians at the national level lean into those groups is because they are such a reliable voting base. They, they, they don't miss it. I have seen for myself, the buses, you know, they all meet at church. They all go to vote. They're a reliable base. Um, So then it becomes about, you have to be incredibly charismatic and clear, and you have to be incredibly um, bold and courageous in something that's going to reach into the center spectrum and capture all those voters that are really one-offs. I mean, one of the things I say is that maybe conservatives like me are, are hard to appeal to because I'm hard to find. I'm just one person. I don't also have a congregation of 1400 people that I see on a weekly basis. It's just me, uh, me and a microphone on my podcast. I'm hard to find and I'm hard to mobilize. And I'm also really going to hold the government to account. Right. So I'm, I'm trepid, right. You, you can piss me off and I'll, I'll get mad and, and, and want to ex- exercise that in my vote. So it's about having, you know, and Aaron O'Toole said this in his speech, I have, we have to have courage and Canadians are waiting for us at the crossroads of that courage. You're absolutely goddamn right. They are. And, and it's, it's, it's going to be a two pronged approach to say to these folks on the very far, I don't want to say righty, right. Cause I went to Johns Hopkins and Harvard, but, um, <laughs> but to say it to them, good to it say feels it. good. It does feel good um, to say, you know, stick with me. 
uh, because I'm also doing a lot of other things that are important to you, which is, you know, addressing our deficit spending, you know, creating economic opportunities, allowing people to, to, you know, to have this really full life and a, and a really great experience for, for future generations. I think I can get you to still come along with me on that. And I'm still acknowledging that what you believe is something that you are welcome to believe. It just won't be part of the political experience under the banner of this party. So I think one prong having those really hard conversations, which I do think, I do think people on the far righty right are ready to have, because certainly we've proven that people on the left are ready to have them. So, I mean, let's, let's give some credibility to, to human beings as thinking people. And then the other thing is then really leaning into the center spectrum and saying, can I get you to, can I get you to come on side by talking about how, how this party can appeal for you? Uh, and 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 really being clear about what the party is, and very clear about what the party isn't. I'm curious. Like one of the things that that we've talked about on the last episode, and uh, we're going to talk about again, is the the again going back to that that 31 flavors of conservatism. Um, how... Do not call this episode 31 flavors of conservatism. I, it I, will I, hurt my feelings. We don't we don't title our episodes. They're safe. Um... Well, don't start. <laughs> um but how i mean the one of i think the challenges that we saw come out in the last provincial election in alberta was there was this uh behemoth called the united conservative party and it because it was it says conservative in the name it must be conservative i think that a lot of people reflexively especially in alberta voted for the united conservative party because it's conservative and i've always been conservative and yet a lot of people are finding that the the values that the united conservative party are are trying to impose on Albertans are fundamentally opposed to what they believed conservatism is because they grew up with a PC government as opposed to, to, to this thing. Do you think it's possible to get people to, to realize there's more than one flavor? Uh, it's hard because he's couched that in a big statement about Kenny. So, um, Okay. So we got to talk about Kenny separate from, from conservatism because sure. yeah. it's just, I think you have to separate those two ideas. I think what we saw was conservatives saying we have to put together one party because we have to come together for Alberta. And we bought that. That sounded so inspirational. Look at all these conservatives coming under one thing. You know, they, we, we loved Kenny in the big blue truck. We just didn't anticipate that we would be the ones taken for a ride. That's what I want to say about that. Separating that out from, from Jason Kenny, I think that do people recognize that there's 31 flavors of conservatism? I think doesn't represent the fact that we as we as citizens need to be more vocal about defining what we believe conservatism to be. Sometimes I think that we we look to the conservative governments, whether they're in opposition or in positions of leadership, and we say, yeah, you mirror to us what you think we are. And I think sometimes we need to be more vocal. This is not a look in the mirror moment, I promise you. This is not a Jim Prentice look in the mirror moment, I promise. But we need to be more vocal to say, this is what I will and will not tolerate from a conservative government uh, in a way that still gives them a pathway to be successful. So let's, let's talk about Mr. Kenny then. How's, how's he doing? 
And that's it for part one of the conversation that we had with Jennifer Sanford. We're going to be dropping part two on April 8th because, as you may have heard, the new season of her podcast drops on April 9th. So it's going to be a fairly quick turnaround. Um, but if you enjoy the kind of content that we're trying to produce here at The Breakdown, please consider signing up to be one of our Patreon sponsors at our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash thebreakdownab. And if you're listening to the audio version of this, uh, if you could take a couple of minutes and leave a rating and a review, it's those ratings and reviews that help us get the podcast into more people's ears. As always, we just want to end the show with a very special thank you to all of our Patreon sponsors, and a thank you to you for listening. We really appreciate your attention.